everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bitch Breathe. My name is Ricardia, and first of all, I want to thank each and every one of you for the incredibly detailed feedback you've been giving me about especially the last episode. The last episode was called All the Single Ladies, and it was about being alone and what to do when maybe you're not enjoying it so much. And I had some really, really lovely feedback from younger women also who were saying that actually their issue was not so much that they felt ashamed or or that they were so lonely when they were single, but that they have the opposite problem where they've never lived with somebody and they're already in their words already, 30, 35, and it looks weird for some people that they've never been married or had kids. So I thought that was such great feedback, and thank you again very much. Maybe it's time for me to start inviting some guests. I've already been thinking about it, so let's see what happens going forward. Today, however, today I want to talk about a very different subject that I have hopefully playfully (laughs) titled the happiness imperative. So I have this really, really funny and entertaining and amazing friend from Lebanon, who, like me, grew up in a very Christian household. And sometimes when we would talk and she would tell me stories, and I would say, oh, you know, I'm not doing so well. Uh, My son is having this or this trouble in school or with friends she would always have this really funny and very sort of dramatic way of saying, oh, and in this French voice, no less, oh, just be glad that you still have your legs and everybody is healthy. And then she would name all the things I should be grateful for. (laughs) And I used to laugh so much because I would think, well, while this is true and I am healthy and grateful for this fact, I still do have problems. There is still stuff going on in my life that feels hard and that I'm struggling with. And after a while, we used to make it a joke. And luckily, she was um, a very humorous person. So she would get that I thought it was a little strange to come at me with this. And later, it turned out I realized why she would do this, because she had lived through the war in Beirut in the 80s, I believe, and she had spent time in a bunker with a broken leg. Now, I don't know why this sounds funny to me, because it's not funny at all. But I think it was the comparison, right? She was comparing this incredibly horrible, traumatic, existentially threatening experience to my sort of what must have obviously looked as a very privileged problem here in the West because my son is being bullied or whatever it was at school. I don't even remember. Um, and so the contrast seemed absurd. And that's when I ta- what I want to talk about today. And that's actually one of the first things around this issue that I want to get to, which Brene Brown whom I'm a huge fan of, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard of her. And if you haven't, get on it. Maybe I'll pop her into the episode notes. Um, is comparative suffering. It's something that has come up for me again now because of the pandemic. Here in Germany, we're in the second lockdown. It's a partial lockdown or a lockdown light or however people are phrasing things these days. And so we're back to all these stories of how people are having to handle this pandemic on top of their normal, whatever that means, regular lives. So, of course, there's a lot of talk about domestic abuse. There's talk about parents who 
um, are having to work, but at the same time, some of the schools are closed because there's been a, a corona positive case. And then there's the single people who have nobody. And then there's the opposite, people who have so much family they have to take care of right now. So there's all these problems that aren't just evoked by the um, pandemic. They're also incredibly exacerbated by the pandemic. And so what I've noticed in the different kinds of narratives sometimes with friends or even with people I don't know so well is that when you say, yes, I'm really struggling with this, let's say you're taking care of an aging parent, but also your children, or maybe you're divorced, or maybe you're just spending a lot of time uh, working even more because the pandemic um, has made you a, what we call a system relevant person. And now you're working double shifts, maybe. So whatever it is, I noticed that people would start to say, well, yeah, I mean, I guess it is hard that you are alone at home, for example, but I have to take care of two children, one of which isn't in school right now, because and then here goes the narrative. And I thought to myself after a while, why does this happen? Why do we sort of, there's all this craziness going on, and yet here we are, and I've caught myself doing this too, stepping into a full-on pissing contest about how um, things are d more difficult for me than they are for you. And I've mentioned this pissing contest in another episode. I can't remember what it was. And it came up again now, so I wanted to talk about this idea of comparative suffering and the conclusions, some of them that I've drawn is that they're just not helpful. Apart from the fact that um, it seems a little weird to be in a contest of who's doing worse, it's also so painful because in the essence of what is happening is you're making my situation or my feelings even irrelevant. They don't matter against whatever it is you're going through or whatever someone else is going through. So another way people were coming at this, I was saying that I really miss my friends. I miss being hugged. I miss the physicality. And I find it incredibly challenging being a very physical person. Uh, my my f uh, family on my father's side f is from Trinidad. We're very sort of physical people, and we love hugging and, and being together. So for me, it's extremely difficult. This is one of the most challenging aspects of the pandemic. And then my friend was saying, well, at least you're not in France because they can't even leave their house. And yes, that is awful. And yes, I don't want to be one of the people who can't leave their house. But do I feel better now about not being physically close to my friends or my boyfriend or that I can't hug my mom who's going through a hard time? No. I mean, it's the same principle of people telling you to relax when you're super uh, stressed. Has anybody in the history of humanity ever relaxed because someone else said, you know what, girl, you should be relaxing right now? It's like, hello, you just made this so much worse because now you're telling me to do something that clearly I'm not able to create right now. So I want to invite, I think, all of us to really look at what it is we're going through right now, which is unprecedented history, unprecedented suffering on a collective level, and especially on an individual level. 
we don't even know what other people are going through right now. And sometimes me too, I'm so quick to judge. Like I'll go in to a store and somebody's not being very nice or actually my mom at the moment she had to go in for surgery and the nurses were being super harsh to her and really what she felt was downright mean. And it's hard to be nice to people who are not really making any effort, right? But just for all of us to remember, we're all in a never-before-seen situation. And to maybe when we notice that we're comparing our suffering and we feel like we definitely win this contest, our shit's so much worse than anybody else's, to come back and, and to realize we don't know the full story and to just have some empathy with them. But even more in this context of comparative suffering, maybe not more, but definitely also for ourselves. This is a difficult time, no matter how easy our problems look compared to somebody else's. That doesn't make our problems irrelevant. That doesn't make our feelings unimportant. It also doesn't discount the fact that other people are going through a very, very different and maybe, yes, harder time. Yes, maybe objectively it is much harder. Um, actually, I'm pretty sure it is much harder for many, many people. But to acknowledge that we have a situation that is very, very challenging and to just lift each other up and make room for the fact that somebody is suffering, in quotes here now, just because they're lonely. Loneliness is really, really hard. Um, this pandemic is really, really hard for all of us. So we have different ways of processing it. Let's not make it a pissing contest or make pissing contests one of the ways we deal with it. Comparing my suffering to somebody else's is not going to help either of us. And that brings me to the second point, because that's something that as a result happened when this comparison went on. And that was the issue of guilt. Okay, great. Now I'm not only feeling invalidated with my problem. I'm also feeling guilty because I'm not thinking about, for example, one situation, it was the domestic abuse. I'm not thinking about women who are right now going through a horrible time because of domestic abuse at home, right? So now you've put guilt into the equation. And I grew up in a Bible banging environment, at least until I was um, a teenager. So you've just put a dynamic in place that makes me feel very small and, well, guilty, right? Now I feel guilty about the fact that I'm not suffering with these other people. But I strongly believe that our guilt serves absolutely nobody, and least of all ourselves. What use is it to you that now I feel guilty about not having for this moment when I was talking about my situation considered that other people have it much worse? Guilt serves nobody, and what serves us, ourselves and others, is again empathy and compassion. And if we can't produce those, at least step away enough from the guilt to not make it even bigger what we're feeling and the inadequacies that maybe we're experiencing. So that was my second tool. Guilt serves nobody. And then there's another thing that I especially experienced in the spiritual scene, in the yoga scene, and that after a while felt really, really strenuous. And now with, again, with the background of the pandemic feels 
Even worse, it feels inauthentic. And what I mean is the jargon that we're all throwing around. It's, um, again, very strong in the yoga scene where you begin to realize that everybody's speaking the same language. And the language is, in context with the um, happiness imperative, is to elevate, you know, just turn it around, positive, think your way out of it, visualize this. And there's like 5,000 tools you could use in yoga, in meditation. And a lot of them I find very, very helpful. This is not to discount yoga or meditation. I'm a I'm a yoga teacher, and I truly, truly believe in the um, the spiritual and the health um, uh, what would I say um, benefits of of yoga and and breath work and all that. So that's not that's not my issue. My issue is the jargon around it that people say, uh, well, you just have to elevate it or you have to transform it. Or I experienced it one time in a chat where there's a lot of yoga teachers and a lot of coaches. Um, it's a chat with um, all women. And one was saying, oh, I just had this horrible experience in a store where um, people were sort of getting crazy with the shopping carts. I think it was because in Germany, you have to use a shopping cart to go into the grocery store right now. And she's like, I don't know. I just in that moment, I couldn't elevate it right away. And I really need to elevate it. And um, she was very upset about having been upset over the situation. And I thought to myself, well, wait a second. Why do you have to elevate it right away? I mean, yes, you don't want to punch anybody. And yes, you don't want to lose your shit around the situation. But after coming out of it and sort of having given it a, a, a few moments, why do you have to immediately turn this thing around without having fully acknowledged that maybe your your feelings were hurt or maybe you hurt somebody else's feelings and just take a moment to sort through that not so much in a cognitive way although if that helps you that's great but more in a physical way take a few breaths and acknowledge that something happened that disrupted the system a little bit for a moment and then by all means be my guest elevate the hell out of that thing but what i mean to say is I'm I'm a little wary of the whole idea that you have to at that moment be this like happy person and immediately turn it around and even turn it into a lesson in your next yoga class that you're given. It's like, wait a second, are you really ready to teach this right now? Are you really ready to transform it now? Or is there a moment of acknowledgement that needs to happen before you go into the next state? So just really allowing each other and allowing ourselves that moment, that pause of, um, hang on, something happened. And I need to just sit with myself for a moment, even to just avoid it the next time and not to immediately sort of what in the scene, in the spiritual scene often is called spiritual bypassing. So not sort of sugarcoating, glossing over it with an, um, hey, you know, uh, let's just elevate the situation or let's create a space for each other or whatever the jargon is. I do know I use it too, but just check yourself, <laughs> I guess, and acknowledge that something happened before you begin to sort of um, spiritually bypass your way through it. Like, oh, it's meant to be and not even questioning that maybe some of our own behavior was wrong and really then only, then only 
getting into that second stage of, um, yeah, turning it around. So just being aware of the jargon that people serve up to us, the memes on Instagram, the beautiful language that is around suffering and problems and the pandemic and whatever it is, and really understanding that not everybody who sounds spiritual and who uses the jargon is doing all this in a super happy way. We don't have to be happy all the time, right? There are situations where we can be a little unhappy and a little angry and hurt, work through them, and then move on. Okay, the third one, and as you will have noticed, a lot of this is because of the pandemic and the background of this global situation, because I think it's so much on the forefront of everybody's brains right now that it just felt like I had to come out with this um, with this episode. So this third tool that I have is to really ask ourselves, is this mine or is this collective suffering? So sometimes in the mornings I've noticed now I wake up and I try to let there be some time between my waking up process and listening to the news because I've noticed that I can't always tell, am I suffering right now? Am I depressed over the situation? Or is it the news? Is it the people around me? Is it their suffering that I'm just letting so much in and staying so permeable, which I like to stay permeable. I want to be able to have empathy and compassion for myself and others, but to just sort of be in a constant exchange and discrimination, if you will, of what is mine what is my day like right now? How much am I, you know, feeling depressed and sad because of what something that's actually happening to me today or right now in this moment, more specifically? And how much is it the collective? Because collective grief, especially as women, I don't know, I would love to hear from you if you have this also. Sometimes I cannot separate them. If my friends tell me something that has happened to them, they're going through surgery maybe or with the pandemic right now, they're going through a really hard time. Oh, it takes me a moment. It really takes me a moment to be like, okay, Ricardia, um, it's not helpful to this friend right now if you co-suffer and you're getting really, really sad and you feel this incredible. This is what I find worse about the pandemic, this feeling of powerlessness. I can't help my friend. I don't know how or I can't help my family or... There's this whole other country that's in an incredibly horrible situation right now. Don't even get me started on the whole situation for refugees who are coming to Europe. And it just becomes all so unbearable, the powerlessness, the little that I'm able to do in this situation. And it makes me feel so defeated and so sad that sometimes I'm battling this beast of grief, but actually... As bad as it is, it's not mine in this moment. I think it's our responsibility to have an eye on other people, to know what they're going through. Absolutely, this is our responsibility to understand and to see where can we be an instrument of support and peace or maybe just listening. But then... There comes a moment where we have to disentangle, I feel like, where we have to realize, okay, but right now, I am in an okay place. My family's doing okay. Hopefully, I have a, a good roof under my head, and it's peaceful here, and 
you know, public transport is still in place. I can have a cup of coffee, whatever it is to come back to all the things that are indeed working. And I understand that I say this and I'm operating from a still very privileged point. But see that? That's the whole idea of the comparative suffering is that I feel like I have to acknowledge um, that other people are doing badly. And I do, and I want to acknowledge it. But just to come back to our situation and to understand that we cannot take on everybody's grief. Um, we cannot carry this throughout our days because, at least in my own very, very personal experience, that is too much of a burden and it will make for a very, very much harder day. At least for me, I noticed, oi, I just can't, um, I can't get my mood up. I cannot, even though I'm in an okay situation in this moment, I still have a job. I have teammates whom I really love. I can't get the, the situation to feel better. And that's when I noticed, okay, I need to reduce some of the news that I'm listening to. I need to, as I hear stories of other people suffering, understand that those exist. But what coexists with that is the situation that I'm okay at this moment. I can help people around me and I can help myself. And that is very fortunate. And it is here. And to just take the time out to notice that, to really understand what is my suffering? What is somebody else's? Can I bridge the divide by helping where I can? But can I also take a step back and acknowledge that that is not my situation in this moment and that that's okay? So as a result of this one, I sometimes felt like I was getting confused I feel that a lot these days. I feel very, very confused by the contradicting messages, by all the theories and stories that are out there that I don't know what is what anymore. I don't even know what is responsible behavior, what isn't. Should I meet this person? Is that completely crazy to do so? And just sifting through all this information and contradiction is an incredible task to do. So what I've come to return to more and more is the idea, and here comes one of my very yogic tools, is the idea to re-realize that our breath is the first and the last compass that we have. The breath is our exchange within ourselves, the in the out, but also with the world around us, with our environment. So the more I can get into this circle of breath and the feedback it's giving me, is it shallow? Is it anchored? Does it feel like it's been a long time that I even took a deep breath? And this is what will help us. It won't maybe help us sift through the news and all these differentiated opinions are, are sometimes not very differentiated, sometimes really um, radical, but it'll help us to sift through our own environment, our very personal environment of our body and our soul and our minds, which may be going crazy right now. Keep coming back to the breath and the kind of mm, news and update that it's giving you. So not the outside news, if you will, but what's going on with me. And this deep inhale and exhale, even if you can't 
manufacture a deep inhale and exhale because maybe you have a super stressful job right now or, or a very stressful family situation. But just coming back to this cycle, the in, the out, the sifting through what's on the outside and what's going on in the inside has been super helpful for me. So we're at the very last tool. And this is a distinction I like to make for myself all the time because it creates a goal that I feel I can actually achieve. And that is for me, happiness is not the same as joy. And I mentioned in my last episode that I have an ambiguous relationship to the word happy in general because I feel like, oh, that's such a tall order. Like, um, how, how am I supposed to do that all the time? And um, that's such an unrealistic achievement for me. Maybe I'm not far enough on my meditation path or my yogic path. And maybe that's why. If you are further and you have ideas about this, let me tell you, I'm the first who wants to hear them. But if, um, if you're like me and you feel like happiness seems like such a tall order, then maybe the word joy is a little more helpful. And what I've found in the day-to-day with everything that's going on right now, finding moments, creating items of joy, that was the key. So what I did the other day, and keep in mind, this is not easy for me because I'm in no way artistic when it comes to drawing or painting or many, many other art forms. Unfortunately, I haven't been gifted with, but I bought these oil crayons. And I bought a huge piece of paper, like gigantic, to me gigantic. And I just started sort of taking these these crayons and making shapes or not making shapes at all on this paper, just drawing, drawing, drawing this or that. Maybe I put a few words into it and I really went crazy and I loved it. It was like, wow, I have no goal. I have no talent when it comes to this whatsoever. I'm very likely not ever going to show this little piece of artwork that I made to anybody else. But what I did achieve was a moment of timelessness, effortlessness, and an absence of goals. And it was really, really joyful for me to go back to what I consider a childlike state, even though I think that's a total underestimation of what this really is. It has um, nothing to do with being, well, no, I think it has everything to do with being a child and being playful. But I think what I want to make sure is that not to discount it because this is something children do, because that's something I do in my head a lot. I'm like, oh, I don't have time to play. I don't have time to do this. It's like, no, I do have time. I just don't take it. So really creating moments of joy for me, sometimes it's picking up my guitar, by the way, another hobby I didn't master. (laughs) But just strumming along. Um, You'll know from previous episodes for me, um, dancing is huge. Uh, whether I'm grieving, whether I'm really happy, dancing is always, always an outlet for me, a way to transpire whatever's not working and to really get some new energy into the body. So whatever creates joy for you, looking for this more than looking for something that creates happiness. I find happiness in my own personal state. Again, my meditation practice might suck royally, but I found happiness, the state of happiness, to be something that's very, very difficult to maintain, whereas joy feels much more immediate and accessible to me because a piece of music, some very untalented piece of art that I made can already create that. So in this situation, in this pandemic, wherever, 
whatever it takes. Find those things. Return to activities that you know from your past that create joy. So that there is no happiness imperative, but I'm going to go ahead and say there is a joy imperative. It is our birthright and it is our obligation to insist on being joyful at least once a day. Insist on being joyful instead of feeling the mandate of happiness or overeager positive thinking. So that was it from me today. I hope this was helpful to you. I hope that you find those islands of joy and really allow yourself to feel the joy, the grief, whatever is going on without any censoring or uh, guilt tripping or whatever the other uh, forms of limitation that we experience are um, without letting those in. Have a beautiful day. Thank you for listening. And I hope to hear from you soon.